All right, everyone, let's take out our Bibles. And if you will, open with me to the book of Mark, chapter 10 this morning. We'll start here in just a second in verse 13. Mark, chapter 10, verse 13. When we have our young kids up here to lead us in worship like we did just a moment ago, many of those times I think there's hardly anything that we're going to do this morning that is more pleasing to the Lord than that. That the Lord is so pleased with what goes on when kids are worshiping the Lord like that. Now, we do that for a couple reasons. Number one, we want our kids to feel like they are just as much a part of this church as the adults are. And they are. We want them to feel a part of this church. But we also do it for another reason. We believe that that was absolutely pleasing to the Lord when kids do that. But you notice it's not perfectly done or executed when kids do worship, right? We've got kids grabbing the microphone. We've got kids trying to jump off the stage. We're we're trying to put them in place. We're trying to keep them in place. It's a little chaotic, but we believe, right, that that's super pleasing to the Lord. One thing that helps us adults with is that, brothers and sisters, our worship service does not have to be perfectly executed to be pleasing to the Lord, right? We can mess up in our humanity. I can mess up preaching and we can still be pleasing to the Lord because what the Lord values is not execution, but heart sincerity and joy before him and humility before him. And so let's rejoice in that this morning. Now we've got the kids in us, in in with us for the worship service today. This is family day. Kids, I want to talk to you for a moment. Kids, what is the most frustrating part about being a kid? What's the most frustrating part about being a kid? I just saw a kid point to his parents. I I just saw that. I'm not going to mention names. What's the most frustrating part about being a kid? For me, I don't know about you guys, but for me it was always that I couldn't do all the stuff I wanted to do. I can't do everything I want to do, right? I want to drive a car. I want to choose what we have for dinner. I want to stay home from school today. And and the, the biggest one... I want to go places by myself. I want to go places by myself. When I was growing up, I wanted to go places by myself, and I just couldn't. And I was like, Mom, Dad, what is going on? Because I was watching all these movies where all these little kids were running around town by themselves. I turn on Mighty Ducks, and there's this big group of 10-year-olds rollerblading around the city by themselves. Then I I turn on Rookie of the Year, and there's three 12-year-olds riding the subway and going to a Cubs game in Chicago by themselves. And so I just thought that was, like, normal. And so I was like, Mom and Dad, why can't I do that stuff? I, I, I just wanted to grow up. I wanted to grow up. Recently, in our family, we've seen this new remake of the movie Matilda, and it's a musical. Because that's what we do nowadays. We take old movies that are perfectly good and we turn them into musicals and redo them. So Matilda, this new movie, it's got a song in it called When I Grow Up. And here are the lyrics. When I grow up, I will be tall enough to reach the branches that I need to reach to climb the trees you get to climb when you're grown up. And when I grow up, I will be smart enough to answer all the questions that you need to know the answers to before you're grown up. And when I grow up, I will eat sweets every day on the way to work, and I will go to bed late every night, and I will wake up when the sun comes up, and I will watch cartoons until my eyes go square, and I won't care, because I'll be all grown up. 
And when I grow up, I will be strong enough to carry all the heavy things you have to haul around with you when you're a grown-up. And when I grow up, I will be brave enough to fight the creatures that you have to fight beneath the bed each night to be a grown-up. And when I grow up, I will have treats every day. And I'll play with things that mom pretends that moms don't think are fun when I grow up. When we're kids, we just can't wait to not be a kid anymore. Can't wait till I'm grown up. But kids, let me tell you something. There's a good number of us adults that wish we could go back and be kids again. We do. We wish we could go back and be kids again. Drew Holcomb, in the song that he and his band sing called Tennessee, he sings, When I was a boy, I didn't know nothing. I didn't have a care in the world. I had innocence and ignorance of things I wish I still did not know. That's the truth. Some of us grown-ups, kids, some of us grown-ups have become too grown-up. We take ourselves too seriously. We've, We've lost the joy that we used to have when we were your age. But today, kids, we're going to read a passage. Listen to this. We're going to read a passage today where Jesus tells all of us grown-ups that we need to be more like kids. That's what happens in the Bible today. We're going to read a passage where Jesus says, you grown-ups, you need to become more like kids. Let me show you. It's in the book of Mark, chapter 10, starting in verse 13. This is God's word. Let's read our text. It's verses 13 down to 16. Mark writes, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying hands on them. I've got two very simple points from our text today. Number one. We must receive children like Jesus. And number two, we must receive the kingdom like children. We must receive children like Jesus, and we must receive the kingdom like children. First, we must receive children like Jesus. Jesus loves the little children. It is so very true. He loves them strongly. He loves them intensely. And we see this in our text in verse 14. Because as people were bringing children to Jesus, that he might touch them and bless them, the disciples rebuked those people. And then Jesus, verse 14, became indignant. You know what that word means, indignant. It means he's angry. Jesus was angry with his disciples. He gets angry here. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was a theology professor at Princeton Seminary named B.B. Warfield, Benjamin Warfield. He's mostly remembered for being one of the most, uh, the, the, the foremost champions in Christianity of the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. B.B. Warfield taught so much on the inspiration and authority of the Bible, and we owe him a great deal, the church does. Well, he, he wrote an essay that's lesser known than his main works, But it's actually growing in recognition today, and this essay is titled, The Emotional Life of Our Lord. 
the emotional life of our Lord. And in that essay, Warfield lists and explains the three most common emotions that Jesus displays in the Gospels. The three most common emotions Jesus displays in the Gospels. Now, the first one is not going to surprise you. It's compassion. The, the most common emotion that Jesus displayed in the Gospels was compassion. But the second might surprise you. The second most common one is anger and indignation. You see, most Christians can only think of one time in the Bible that Jesus got mad. What's that one time? When Jesus cleaned out the, the temple, right? When he drove the money changers and the animals out of the temple. And he said, do not turn my father's house into a market. It's to be a house of prayer. But Jesus got angry at other times. We've actually already seen a time in the book of Mark as we've been going through it chapter by chapter. We've seen Jesus get angry in the book of Mark. Do you remember? It was chapter 3 when Jesus walked into the, the, the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand. And Jesus knew, he, he read the minds and the hearts of the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees there because it says they were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal this man on a Sabbath so that they could accuse Jesus. And then Mark 3, 5 says, Jesus looked around at them with anger and he was grieved at their hardness of heart. And then he healed the man right in front of them on that Sabbath day. He looked at them with anger. We also find Jesus angry when he comes up upon the death of Lazarus. When Jesus came up upon the death of Lazarus with, Lazarus, with, with all of Lazarus's family and friends crying about the fact that he was dead... Right before that famous verse that says Jesus wept, it says Jesus was deeply moved. But that word deeply moved not only means intense emotion. The Greek word behind it means intense emotion with anger. Jesus was raging at death there. This, this should not be. It should not be this way. And we remember Lazarus was one of his good friends as well. And so Jesus' anger shows us what he cares passionately about. When Jesus gets angry, that shows us what he cares passionately about. And what makes Jesus mad? Well, death. Lifting legalistic tradition over the well-being of an actual person because your hearts are so hard. Or turning a place dedicated to God's presence into a money-making business. And what also makes him mad, we see in our text today, is keeping children away from him. Because you think he's got more important things to do. That makes Jesus mad. Friends, Jesus does not have more important things to do than minister to children. He does not have more important things to do. I want you to think for a moment about the corporation Amazon. Amazon, this multi-billion dollar corporation, seems like everything you buy these days comes from Amazon, does it not? Well, let's say this coming week you buy something on Amazon and you really need it by the end of the week. And you've got two-day shipping. All right, what, what a convenience. Well, they send it to you, but, but then it, it's slow. They don't get it out quick enough. And it doesn't come by the time you needed it. And you really needed that package by that certain time. And so you decide, I'm going to call up Amazon and complain, but I'm not just going to ask to talk to a manager. No, I'm going to ask to talk to Jeff Bezos himself multi-billion dollar owner of Amazon. I'm going to demand to talk 
to owner Jeff Bezos. And he is going to hear about how my package was late and it inconvenienced me that week. Well, guess what? You're not going to get him. You're not going to reach him. You're not going to get that far down the line. Why? Because Jeff Bezos has more important things to do than hear about how your package didn't arrive on time. Well, the the disciples thought the same thing about Jesus here. When people were bringing their little children to him, you can imagine the disciples being right there and kind of being Jesus' handlers, bouncers, if you will, protecting him, saying to the the parents and their kids as they were coming, hey, uh, attention people, I don't know if you realize, but this is Jesus here. This is the Messiah of Israel we've got here. This is the, the Savior of the world. This is the Son of God. Please do not bother him with with wanting him to touch and bless your little kids. He's got much more important things to do. Friends, don't fault the disciples too quickly here. We might very well have done the same thing. But it says this makes Jesus angry. It makes Jesus indignant because he does not have more important things to do. Friends, do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to please him? Do you want to be about your master's business? Then love kids. Get down and talk with them. Take an interest in them and the things that they're interested in. Let them take up your time. We must see children as exalted people. In the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom compared to the values of the world. And so in God's kingdom, the exalted and the ones in high places are humbled. And the humble and the ones in low places are exalted in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, the first are last and the last are first. And so in God's kingdom, kids are of the utmost importance. They are of the utmost importance to God and to Jesus Look at what Jesus says of them in verse 14. He says to the disciples, don't hinder them from coming to me. And then he says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. To such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, what does he mean there? I had to spend a decent amount of time on this this past week because I wasn't totally sure right off the bat. What does Jesus mean by that? To such belongs the kingdom of God. And here's where I landed. You can compare this with other scripture, test this, do not take it as gospel. This is where I landed, though. I think Jesus means here that infants and small children will all go to heaven. I think that's what he's saying. Infants and small children will all go to heaven because they are protected under the grace of God until they reach a certain age, what we often call the age of accountability. You can find this idea in places like Romans 5 or Romans 7 or even first uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, rather. But the idea is that, that kids, until they reach a certain age, are not accountable to God like us adults are because they can't get there mentally and spiritually. They, they, they don't understand the guilt that they have before God. It's not that they're completely innocent. It's not that they don't sin. They do. But it's that the Lord doesn't hold them accountable like he does the rest of us. They're protected under his grace so that when infants and toddlers, if you will, pass away, they go straight to heaven. And so 
God is pleased to give them the kingdom. Little children. God is pleased to give the kingdom to little children. And if God is pleased to give children his kingdom, should not we give them our very best as well? Shouldn't we give them our very best? If children are so important to God and exalted in his kingdom, they must be to us as well. And so, friends, never think that serving children and ministry to children is below you. That is the statement of a fool in God's kingdom. I mean, seriously, it's foolish. When you think about the way that God values kids and the way that Jesus values children, it would be foolish for us to say that. Never think that it's below you. It is an honored and exalted ministry in God's eyes. Never think that a church's ministry to adults is the real and important stuff while kids' ministry is just taking a back seat, while kids' ministry is is babysitting. Never think that the desires and the needs of our kids in this church can just take a back seat to what the adults want. There should be a waiting list for kids' ministry at every church because we should look at what Jesus values and we should conclude he cares deeply about children, so I should too. And so, brothers and sisters, receive children like Jesus did. May we receive children like Jesus. But second, Jesus tells us we must receive the kingdom like children. Receive the kingdom like children. Here we get into verse 15. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That is a forceful warning. Whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child will not enter it. Notice how Jesus puts this in the negative and not in the positive. He doesn't say it the way that I titled my sermon point. I titled my sermon point, Receive the Kingdom Like Children. And yes, that's true. Jesus wants us to think that. But that's not the way that Jesus puts it when he says it. He puts it in the negative. He says, if you don't receive it like a child, you won't enter it at all. It's a warning. Doing this, Jesus is saying, doing this is so important that without it you lose everything. If you don't receive the kingdom like a child, you lose it all. And so we've got to think about what this means. Now, one of the implications here, brothers and sisters, is this. The kingdom is not reserved for those who have a good grasp on social norms or social etiquette. Think about this with me. Sometimes we can look down on people who don't understand proper social etiquette. They don't understand how to act in public. But guess who else doesn't understand how to act in public? Kids. Children. Right? And woe to us. Woe to us if we turn our church into a club where the requirement for being admitted is social appropriateness. Jesus is saying to us, that ain't it, people. That is not it. He put it negatively on, on purpose. And so, let me give us a warning today. If you find yourself getting annoyed and upset 
when people come into our church and they don't act like you and they don't act like all the people that you think are respectable and appropriate. And if you find with annoyance that you are thinking they don't dress right and they don't talk right and they don't smell right and they don't act right, I'm here to tell you your warning sign should be going off because that is a dangerous place to be mentally and spiritually. Because Jesus is here to tell us social appropriateness is not going to keep people out of the kingdom of God, but what will is looking down on those people. There is a great irony about the kingdom of God, that there will be those on the last day who have sat in churches their entire lives, but who have looked down on others. And they will find on Judgment Day that many of those they look down upon are getting into the kingdom while they themselves are being shut out of it because they did not receive the kingdom of God like a child. Brothers and sisters, don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. It is paramount. It could not be more important this morning for us to ask, then how do you receive the kingdom like a child? Because if we don't, we don't enter it. How do you receive the kingdom like a child? Let me give you three ways. There are probably more. Three ways. You receive the kingdom of God like a child when you receive it as a gift that you didn't or couldn't earn. You receive the kingdom like a child when you receive it as a gift that you did not or could not earn. Little children do not struggle with self-righteousness. They don't struggle with that. They just come to Jesus. But there are many adults who will claim their own merit, who trust in their own goodness for why God should let them in. A child comes to Jesus with with nothing to give, nothing to contribute. All they can do is receive. That's exactly what God wants from every single one of us. When you come to the Lord, you do not have anything to give to him. The word tells us over and over again, you cannot give to God as though he needed something from you. You cannot put him in your debt. We have nothing to contribute. We come to God with open hands saying, I need you. He doesn't need us, right? We can only receive from him. And all that we give back to him is his already. And he benefits zero from everything that we give. It is, it is a blessing to his heart, yes. But he does not sit there in need and in want if a single person on the earth does not come to him in faith. He can do everything on his own. He is perfectly self-sufficient. Brothers and sisters, we do not contribute anything to God. We need him. We receive from him. Children are wonderful at this. They don't struggle with self-righteousness when they come. They don't think about themselves at all. It's the beauty of the humility of children. I think it was C.S. Lewis that first taught me that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, moping around, woe is me. True humility is just It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Just don't think of yourself at all. 
The, the true humble person is not someone that most of us would say, oh, that guy's humble. We, we probably wouldn't be thinking about that at all. We'd be, be saying that they're easy to talk to. They're nice to be around. They, they made me feel important, right? Children do not struggle with self-righteousness, so you receive the kingdom as a child when you receive it as a gift that you did not or could not earn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what Jesus wants. Number two, you receive the kingdom like a child when you receive it with trust in the one who gives it. With trust in the one who gives it. Children are so trusting. This is what makes them vulnerable. We spoke about that a couple weeks ago. This is what makes kids vulnerable. They're so trusting. But it's also held up to us as an example in how we should fully trust God in everything he says and everything that he does. Brothers and sisters, our faith in the Lord and our trust in Christianity is not blind. It is not without good reasons, but it is also not skeptical and it is not cynical. No matter who you are, there comes a point when you don't understand what God is doing or you don't understand what God has said. There's much about God that we do not understand And so for every single person, no matter how smart you may be, for every single person, there comes a point where we must trust him. Even when we don't understand, we must trust him. And that's the question, right? Will you trust him? Will you give him your trust? Will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him with your eternity? Will you trust him when it's going to to harm you socially? Will you trust him when... You have to follow him, and it's hard. It doesn't get you any points, or it includes suffering. Will you trust him when those around you are looking down upon you for it and are not following in the same direction? There always comes a point for every single one of us when we have to give him our trust. Children trust the Lord much easier than we adults do at times. Finally, you receive the kingdom as a child when you receive it with faith in the message. You receive it with faith in the message. Children do not come to God with the wisdom of the world. They don't have the wisdom of the world yet. They don't come to God thinking about all the ways the message of the cross is foolishness. Children do not believe themselves to be too sophisticated to accept such a simple message as the gospel. Children are not skeptical about miracles. Children are not wondering... I don't know if someone did actually rise from the dead. They're not thinking like that. Children are not questioning how one man could pay for the sins of the whole world. They don't even question God's right to condemn someone for their sin. Children are teachable. Whereas many adults are not. And many adults believe that they have this thing called life figured out already. If you are intellectual and cultured, if you are sophisticated and wise in the ways of the world, if you are accomplished and important, you will have a harder time coming to salvation than a child would. Does that offend you? There are many that it does. There are many that it offends. That it would be harder for them to come to God than a child. 
Paul says the cross, in Galatians 5, the cross is an offense to the world. He calls it the offense of the cross. It is an offense to the world. The cross tells us that we are sinners and that we need to be saved. We need to be saved from ourselves. The cross tells us that we are wrong and that we need to repent and turn to God. The cross tells us that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot do anything to contribute to our salvation. We must trust the Lord for it. The cross tells us that we must turn away from who we have been and we must let the Lord come in and make us new. This is not hard for children. It is often hard for adults. But there is a great encouragement here as well, brothers and sisters, a great encouragement. Because on the other side, if you feel like you are not very smart, and you feel like you're not very sophisticated. If you feel like you don't really have a good grasp on social etiquette. If you feel like you don't really have anything you could contribute to God and his kingdom. If you feel like you're just a simple, unimportant person. You are exactly the kind of person God is looking for. You are exactly the kind of person he delights to pour out his love and his grace upon. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. Salvation is open to all. It doesn't matter who you are, poor, rich, sophisticated or not, important in the world or unimportant in the world. The gospel is for all. But all Jesus is saying is it's going to be harder for you if you are up here in the ways of the world and in the eyes of the world versus down here. Because God's kingdom is upside down. Or we might say right side up. God's kingdom is right side up. The world, the world that we live in is upside down. The gospel is for any who would humble themselves and admit their sin, confess to the Lord, and turn away from their life of sin and their life of self-willed righteousness, their life of self, living for self. And to give of their life to Jesus Christ. Anyone can do this. It's not easy. But anyone can do this. Will you? Have you? That's where I leave you this morning. That's where God leaves us this morning. And we take time now to respond to that word that he has laid upon our hearts. Each week here at Columbia Christian, we give time after the sermon for silent, reflective prayer for each one of us because God has just spoken to us, now we need to speak to him. Do what Hannah was doing in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Pour out your heart to the Lord now. And after we have time for each one of us to do that, we'll come back together and we'll have a time of invitation where anyone who needs to respond to God's word in a public way can then do so. But right now, let's pray for a few moments together.